I've looked everywhere for any help with survivors. The only thing they have is like widowers, widows, the surviving families. But for like attempt survivors, there's no help. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. I am going to keep trying as best I can. Now, we're talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Big thanks to all of our attempt survivors who have joined me here on this podcast. These stories, their stories matter, and they need to be told and heard, and they are being heard by more people in more places. So thanks to them and to all of our listeners who tune in. Thank you. One way to help us out if you listen on Apple is to rate and review this podcast. It really does help. Uh, More people can find the podcast that way. And if you don't listen on Apple or rating and reviewing isn't your thing, that's cool. Keep listening, please, and let folks know about it. Thanks for that. Today, I am talking with Taryn. Taryn lives in Nevada, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. What's going on, Taryn? Oh, not a whole lot, you know, just living. All right, cool. Where are you, by the way, Taryn? I'm in Nevada. Do you know where Reno is? Yeah, more or less. Uh, so I'm two hours south of Reno. And like six hours away from Vegas. So like I'm in the middle of Nevada in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Yeah. Is that where you're from? That's where I'm from. Middle of nowhere, Nevada. Yeah, pretty much. So I was born in Reno and my parents, well, my dad grew up in another little town next to here and my mom was born in Idaho. We all migrated out here. Got you. So tell me this. I know you reached out to me like in the last couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, so like I I've looked everywhere for any help with like survivors. Mm. And the only thing they have is like widowers, widows, basically mm. the surviving families. But for like attempt survivors, there's no help. Like I had spoken to one of my previous counselors out in California and he's like that's a really great idea. Mm. He's like, there is no support for those people. Yeah, they may go to a hospital, Mm -hmm. but after that, there's no support. Most people see these people as, oh, they're failures. They couldn't even kill themselves. You know, it's it's terrible to say it like that. Like, I've had many of friends overdose before. Like, that's how my last attempt was, was a drug overdose. Mm -hmm. And I was successful, but I was revived after three shots of Narcan. I'm coming up on two years in April. 
let me go back for a second and then I definitely want to talk in as much as you're comfortable about your your attempt. You you'd pointed out that there's very little support out there for attempt survivors. There's more out there for I think we would call it loss survivors. Yeah, like grief and loss survivors. Yeah, and if you look on uh, anywhere online, you'll see that very clearly, very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's wonderful that there's support for loss survivors, obviously. But one of the reasons I did the podcast was you're right. Like, what the hell is out there for people who have attempted and then after? So question for you, putting you on the spot here a little bit. Why do you think that is? Nobody knows how to talk about it. That's me personally. That may vary from other people, but it's hard to talk to someone about suicide. Like I'm open and honest about everything. That's part of my program that I'm working right now. I'm open, upfront, and honest with everyone. Mm -hmm. It's taboo. Drug addiction and suicide go hand to hand. Nobody wants to talk about it, but it's there. It's a real concern. You know, it's a big deal. I know. You said you're from North Carolina. I know friends that live in North Carolina still, and they're like, our little towns have been ravaged by it. Mm. Nobody wants to talk about it until it's their son or mm-hmm. their daughter mm-hmm. or someone close to them. You know, that's the only time that they'll talk about it. I know my last, my last attempt. I woke. <laughs> One second, Sean, I apologize. No, Taryn, it's just because we're not supposed to talk about this stuff. Even your dogs know that. Apologize. You know what I'm saying? The dogs are like, hey, Taryn, man, you're not supposed to talk about this stuff. Yeah. So bark until you stop. I know with my last attempt, I had overdosed in my parents' house. It was a purposeful overdose. I didn't want to be a burden to my family anymore. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was my solution. I woke up in care flight. Then I woke up in the ICU. I was alone the whole time. I had told the doctor, I was like, hey, this was purposeful. I need to go to a hospital. And he said, no, I think it was just an accidental overdose. I had told the doctor at the hospital, I was like, I really need help. I really wow. do. Wow. He said, well, stay on your meds, which I'm off of everything now. He said, stay on your meds. I think you'll be okay. Idiot. He's like, we gave you Narcan. You came back. You're with us now. That hurt even worse. Mm-hmm. Waking up in a hospital, being completely alone with no one there. No friends, no family, no nothing. I have the best, most amazing family I could have ever asked for. Mm. We have drug addiction in our family. We have alcoholism in our family. My dad's coming up on 25 years clean. My mom, shoes good but her brothers have died from alcoholism. So it runs rampant in my family. They're like, oh, this was just another relapse. Not knowing what actually went down. Like my dad had found me in the bathroom. It really, it hurt my dad. I know it did. Mm. And it hurt me probably just as bad. I just, I didn't know what to do at that point. And so I got clean again, went on the run again, got clean again. And I'm happily on Tuesday, I'll have six months clean. Nice. Congrats. Man. So, thank you. How old are you? I'm 30. Because I want sort of some context for the listeners. So you're 30 years old. You live in Nevada. You have two loud dogs. Three. Three. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. So let's go back for a second. How many, you get to define attempts however you want, right? That's all on you. How many attempts are there in total in your life? 
there's four major. All right. Are you cool with it? We're not going to spend hours on each, but just a little bit. I'm just curious. When was the first one? Um, my first one, this was probably 2013. I had okay. taken a large number of Xanax and Klonopin and they just pumped my stomach. That was the early years of my, my drug use was 2012 to 2013. Once again, I was like, this is the only escape that I can get. And so that's whenever I took a bunch of pills. Mm-hmm. Woke up in a hospital, activated charcoal. Once again, I was alone. Like, what happens after that? Like, if you go back to the exact same life, probably is not a good thing. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I did. Uh, that time they had sent me to a hospital here. I got some help there, but after that, I was just thrown right back into it. You know, I was being killed again by my drug addiction. Came back home, was doing good for a while, probably a year. Then I got back into drugs, slowly degraded from then. And this was my second attempt. One of my ex-girlfriends had found me in the house. So if she had not found you, that would have been fatal? Yes, definitely. And once again, I went to another, I went to a different hospital this time because there's one in Carson City, then there's one in Reno. And I went to one that was in Carson City, and they actually did a lot of good work with me. I found a really good therapist there. Then after that, I started following up with that one. That was probably the biggest help that I had in my life at the time. Therapist. Therapist, yeah. Yeah. So I started seeing a therapist regularly. I'd go up to Carson maybe once a week, started seeing a therapist up there, and that really helped. I had a really good job. That helped for the time being, but then slowly went back into drugs and the same thing. I took a bunch of sleeping pills and this was 2014. Mm -hmm. I just went off the deep end, got into heroin pretty bad just because it was easier and cheaper. And so I got into heroin pretty bad. Easier than and cheaper than what? Pills. Uh, So that when you say you were an addict. If I, I think you use that word, right? Yeah, I'm still an addict. He's trying to destigmatize addiction to where that's why we always address, hey, I'm Taryn, I'm an addict. So what was your what drugs did you do to feed your heroin? Addiction? Heroin Before. mostly, occasionally meth. I'm never wanting to give people ideas, but we're in the age of information. There's nothing people don't know about. Did you ultimately go like the fentanyl route? Because it's cheaper and you know, maybe even more powerful. Yes. So I went to California in 2015 for rehab. This is after your third attempt at some point after your third attempt. Okay. Yeah. I was messing up. I had a child on the way and I was like, I want to be better for my child. And so I took off to California. I lived in California for almost three years. And in 2017, I had relapsed like really bad. Came homeless in LA. Oh shit. Really? Skid Row? Skid Row for a little bit. Then I went back to Orange County because that's where I was, was Orange County. I was living in Santa Ana. Then I moved to Fountain Valley. I basically rehab hopped so I could live rent-free in California because it's kind of expensive out there. Is that a thing, rehab hopping? It is. A lot of my friends have done it. A bunch of my friends, like they'll fly. If you have really good insurance, they'll fly you to their program. They'll fly you back home after you complete. 
I'll make money. It is. It is a money making business. Big man, right? Yes. So I worked at a sober living house for two years and we'd have a five bedroom house. We had stock it full of 10 people and that would make you 15 grand a month. Just a sober living house, though, that's not even being billed to their insurance, really. When you're when you're when you're going through this, you know, uh, the addiction and then homelessness, are you having moments where you're like, I can't fucking believe this is my life? So we call those moments of clarity mm. in the NA and AA world. I became homeless 2017, probably late July. It was right after my birthday. My parents had came out to California brought my son out there. We had an awesome birthday. It was great because I'm 3rd of July, right before the 4th of July. So Mm. they spent a good weekend out there with us. After that, my parents went back home. Uh, One of my best friends had stayed with me for a couple months and he went back home, which was Indiana. And his mom called me two days after I dropped him off at the airport. Hey, Ben died. I'm like, what? She's like, he he had overdosed. Overdosed. Yep. Fentanyl. He overdosed on fentanyl. That shit's Which really bad. Killing Indiana right now. Mm-hmm. All those things over there. And so mm-hmm. went out there, did the funeral, came back home at the time, which was Fountain Valley. One of my buddies had picked me up from the airport and he was getting high. I was already at a low point. I made the choice, hey, I want to get high. And that's how I became homeless in California until January. So August to January. Yeah, I had a moment of clarity. I was walking outside at Target and I'm a very approachable person. A lot of people have told me that. They're like, how could you be an addict? You don't even look like an addict. It's like, well, what does an addict look like? You know? Right. Yeah, sure. I was walking out of Target and there was a family. It was a wife, a son, and a daughter. The wife had pulled her two children away from me. And that was like my my click off moment. What am I doing? What am I doing with my life right now? Like, how am I in this position? And so that's whenever I reached out, there was a, a program in California. If you're homeless there, they'll buy you a bus ticket home if someone answers the phone. A lot of states do it. But it's basically get out of our state. Yes, pretty much, which I, I was wanting to be done. I had called my mom a couple different times crying, asking for help. And I got the tough love. You know, my mom yeah. was like, no, you need to be clean before you come and see your son. And so was about, a, what about your dad? Cause you said your family, you had a good family. You've got a good family. Awesome family. Yeah. Like all of my family's worried about me. They're like, how is he doing? Has anybody heard from him? I didn't talk to my parents or anybody in my family or my son for four, maybe five months. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to go home. And so I made it to Reno. <laughs> That's as far as I got. I didn't even make it home. home. What happened in Reno? They got me a bus ticket home. I was withdrawing from heroin in Reno. And so I bus, I was like, I'm not going home. In Orange County, it's 70 to 80 degrees year round. Get to Reno, like the middle of almost Christmas time. It is snowing. It's like 30 degrees and I'm in like sweatpants and a t-shirt. And so I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? Stayed in Reno for like a week. Then I had checked into a detox that next week. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I checked into detox. Yeah. It was, it was kind of funny because I was walking down like the main strip in Reno. I'm walking with one of my friends. We're both homeless. And all of a sudden, all I hear is like someone calling my name. And I'm like, who the hell is that? And I turn around and it's a cop. So like, I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? And like, I look and it was one of my childhood best friends that it became a cop. 
I had no idea because our paths have went down the different streets, you know? And he's like, what are you doing up here? I was like, you know, he's like, I thought you were in California. I was like, oh yeah, I was. I'm just up here waiting for my truck to get finished. Something. I made up an excuse because I didn't have a truck. I gave up my truck for drugs, gave up everything for drugs. You know, he's like, it's good to see you. And I'm like, yeah, it's good to see you too. Somehow I got a cell phone and I was like, oh, here's my number. A day after that, he called me and he's like, hey, bro, I know you're not doing good. Let me give you a ride to detox. He gave me a ride to detox. And that's how I became clean again. This was at the end of 2017. So I came home after that and like, Everybody didn't even recognize me. No. I'm a husky guy now. They call it sober weight. Mm -hmm. And so I showed up to the house like 150 pounds. Little. Tiny. Like everybody's just like taken back. They're like, what happened? Yeah, it was was pretty bad. It was bad there for a minute and it got worse. When you were home? Yeah. uh, I came back home and instead of doing heroin, I was doing meth. So it sounds like there were several back and forths. And I know it's, from what I've learned, somewhat common. Detox, get clean, unclean, get clean, use drugs. It goes back and forth. It's like this, almost feels like this almost impossible cycle to break. It is. It's hard. Like, it really is. It's one of the hardest things that I I think I've ever done besides raise my son. That's the only thing that's next to it. But yeah, I, I came home. I worked for the school district out here. So I was doing maintenance work. Everything was going great. I had my son's birthday. Then a week after that is my last attempt. And you were clean. I was clean. What do you think happened there? So I've talked to my sponsor about it. I was like, how did I screw up? He's like, well, whenever you're going straight, like you have high points, good moments, like had an awesome birthday with my son. I was going up. Then once that moment was over, I just went back to where I was. See me, I've always thought that I go up, then I just shoot straight back down into depression. You know, I have clinical depression, anxiety. And so I always thought that I would go back down super, super deep, far down. But my sponsor made me realize that I'm not going into depression. I'm just going back to where I was. And so I think that's one thing that's kind of like clicked differently in my head now is that I can recognize I'm not going to the bottom. I'm just sitting on the edge. And so that has kind of opened my eyes and my mind like, hey, it's not as far down as you think it is. That was 2019? 18. 2018 was your last one. It was 2019. 19. It was kind of eye-opening that time waking up in the ICU next to a guy that had gout and dementia was enough for me. I got cleaned up after that. I had gotten trouble. So now I'm on felony diversion court. I moved to Reno the beginning of last year. I got a third DUI nine times out of 10 in the state of Nevada. You're going to prison for it. Wow. I was lucky enough to get into a program. It's a state ran program. It's like drug court, but it's felony DUI court. I was lucky enough to get into that. Before I got sentenced, the coronavirus happened. So it pushed my sentencing date out. I went to Reno, was doing really amazing. I was in a program up there. I had seven months clean. I was doing really good. One of my friends had got kicked out of the program. I was like, hey, dude, let me graduate the program. We could get a spot together. 
I graduated the program. We got a spot together. He starts using. Same cycle. Got into using again. And this was the end of September. And I left the program at the end of July again. End of July, things start to happen right after my birth, which I got to enjoy my birthday sober. It was the first time I went skydiving and it was my 30th birthday. So skydiving, man. Yeah. Over Lake Tahoe, which was even the bigger topper of it. So it was awesome. But you did like a tandem, right? Yeah. Tandem. It was definitely an experience I'm going to do again. Mm -hmm. After that, I, I had relapsed. I only went out for two months this time. Most of my last times, it was six months here, eight months there, like hard relapse. But this last time was only two months because I knew I had this pending court case. I knew that if I screwed up, uh, I was done. I was going to go to prison. My last time getting high, I I was with my dealer. I got high. I overdosed. He beat the crap out of me. Broke my nose. Why? Trying to wake me up. Oh, shit. Beats me up. Kicks me out of a car, out of my car, throws me out of my car, calls 911, throws my cell phone 911 on my chest and leaves. I wake up in the hospital again. I'm like, what happened? They're like, oh, well, you had an overdose. And this was September 27th. It was a week after my sister's birthday. So I was like, okay, this is time. I got all my stuff. I leave out of the hospital. My friend, picks me up at the hospital. And I was like, you need to get out of my car. He's like, for what? I was like, I'm done. That was the night that I went to my first, they call it your first NA meeting. I met my sponsor there. It was all by chance that the meeting topic was on attendance, like just being there. And like (laughs) this dude calls me out in the meeting. He's like, you could be, you could be hammered like this guy and show up to this meeting as long as you're here. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, quit slamming me. And I pull him aside after the meeting. I was like, dude, I just got out of the hospital. He's like, yeah, I know. I could see the wristband on you. He's like, that's why I picked on you. And I was like, are you sponsoring anybody? And he's like, I am. I said, perfect. You're my sponsor. I've been clean since October 1st now. October 1st, 2020. Yes. So it's been, all right. So it's been like six months, which is a good run, man. It'll be six months on Tuesday. I plan on working this program to the best of my ability. I had reached out last week because I was at a low point in my life. I have everything that I want right now, besides my own place. I'm living with my parents. I'm working right now, but I don't have a full-time job. So I don't have enough income to get me a place, which I really want. But as of yesterday, now I have three jobs, which might be a little overwhelming. It's so weird how my depression hits me. Like I could be having the best day of my life 10 minutes after that. See, I used to be a cutter. So that was my thing for a while. And like, I went into the kitchen and I grabbed a knife and I was like, hold on, what am I doing? Mm. What am I doing here? And like, my first reaction is I need to call my sponsor. And so I call him and I'm like, what do I do? He's like, you need to take a breath, sit down on the couch and FaceTime me. So I FaceTime him. I like this guy. Yeah, he's he's a good he's a good one. Like I've had many of sponsors, but out of all of them, he's stuck around and actually pushes me to do the best I can. And I push him back too. We always make fun of each other, which is good. They say that's yeah. good for a friendship is if you bully each other. But I called him and I was like, What do I do? What do I do? He's like, 
well, what happened today? I was like, nothing. He's like, well, then what are you worried about? And I'm just like, I, I don't know. I was like, I just feel depressed right now. He's like, I could hear someone in the background. Go to him. And so I, I go to my bedroom and my son's in there playing Xbox. He'll be six next month. And he looked at me and he said, daddy, I love you. And that just hit me. And he's like, that's why you're here. And, you know, they say snap out of it, but that shook me out of it. And I was just like, I can't, I can't imagine now how I could ever leave him out of my life or be out of his life. And so I think that helps me the most at this point in my life. It's tough. There's a bunch of hard days. There's a bunch of easy days. Mm. When did you first use drugs? Do you remember? 12 or 13. My grandfather, his dad, so my great-grandpa, founded the bar that's in our town. So there was alcohol everywhere. All throughout second grade up until probably sixth grade, I was going down to the bar every morning. I was stocking the, the ice troughs. I was stocking the bars. Like that was the thing. But in sixth grade, I tried alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't even drugs. It was alcohol. And with alcohol being socially acceptable, everything was kind of just brushed off. And so I, I smoked weed that year too. So this was probably, how old are you in sixth grade? Like 12 or 13? Yeah. So probably 12 or 13, I had smoked weed and I had drank and I started smoking cigarettes. I'm always trying to figure out why. And I think sometimes it's not a helpful question, but, and I'm thinking about the addiction and also the, the suicide attempts, you know, like, is there a why behind them? You know, I know some people might say, well, depression or addiction, which is a valid answer. You think there's other stuff, perhaps what's the word I'm looking for? Like underneath not trying to be a shrink here. I'm just curious. When you've tried for so long and you're ready to give up, you go to that dark place and you're like, okay, I'm comfortable in here now. Mm. That's whenever I think it becomes dangerous. You're so comfortable being alone, not necessarily alone because that's the state of mind to me. Mm -hmm. Like I could be in a room with 500,000 people, but I could still be alone. So isolating is probably the better term. That isolation becomes your home. Mm -hmm. You're so used to being pushed out. My sister used to tell me that anybody that I ever thought of suicide was stupid. It's dumb. It's the most selfish thing you can do. Stuff like that. And that hurt me even more. It's like, I just don't want to be a burden to you anymore. I don't want my family to worry about me 24 seven. Like that's what it was to me. I don't even think there is a why it's like, you understand it or you don't. The addiction thing is my brother, my brother's not an addict or an alcoholic. My brother has four beautiful children, has a beautiful wife, mm -hmm. has everything right. Complete opposite of me, but we're the same. He said, the best way I can explain addiction to you there's a man at the bar with a shot of whiskey in front of him. He has a gun to your head. A normal person would be like, I'm not going to take that shot because I'll get shot. An addict or an alcoholic will say, I wonder if I could shoot that shot before he pulls the trigger. Mm -hmm. Which 
that's the best way I can describe addiction to people. Mm. A lot of people can't necessarily understand it because they haven't seen it firsthand. But I also sympathize with the people like my father was an addict. He used to sell our children to prostitution so he could get his fixed. Wait a second, back up. Your father? No, 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 no. Not my father. Oh, okay. Uh, One of my friends I went to rehab with. Her father used to do that with her little sister and her when they were 10, eight years old, so he could get his fix. She went into rehab for mental health issues. Because rehab, it could be for mental health. It could be for eating. It could be for anything. When I heard that, she's like, I understand addiction just as much as you. I may not be an addict, but I understand addiction 100%. That opened my mind as well. Open my eyes to say, I need to stop being closed off. Because for a long time, I'm like, unless you're an addict, I can't respect you. If you're going to try to teach me how to like not be an addict, pretty much. And I was that way for a long time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, I've never tried to kill myself. So I, I'm, I've often asked myself, and people have asked me a very fair question, like, well, who are you? I've never <laughs> tried. I'm like, fair. I mean, you know, I hope that doesn't discourage you from joining me, but it, it may have for some people. I get it. It's there's a there's a thing of experiencing something, and if you haven't experienced it, it's a tough thing to connect. But well, yeah, fuck, someone's got to do this, Taryn. So, man, I'm not going to try to kill myself <laughs> just to get the street cred, you know? No, like no, not at all. And but like, I, I I get where she's coming from, and I yeah, I think it's a big problem here in my little hometown. Like it really is. Small town America is becoming addicted to heroin and meth, all the drugs, like. Yeah. When this COVID happened, there's a spike in addictions, I think, that are coming forward. You know, Granny, who takes 60 Xanax a week, is not addicted, but the 23 year old that takes them occasionally is an addict. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's one thing that I think needs to be changed. I just want it destigmatized. Like, I work for the school district, and with me being in a small town, everybody knows everybody. They know me as that guy that had overdosed a bunch of times, that guy that completely screwed up his life. Now that I work, well, I have been working at the school district for a couple of years now. Even now, people are like, wow, they let you work here? Yeah. And it, it hurts. You're a fucking monster they make you out to be. Exactly. And you have you been able to like be okay with that, or are you because I'm guilty of this, like, and I'm older than you, and I still this happens to me all the time. I'm like, oh, you think I'm an asshole? I'll show you what asshole is, right? (laughs) I haven't grown out of that. Like, does that happen to you? Like, oh, you think I'm a monster? Sometimes, but I've I've humbled myself now. The previous times that I've gotten clean, I was never humble. Like, I would always be like, Oh, I only screwed up for a couple months. That's all it was. I'm fine now. Now I'm like, okay, I've screwed up for the last time because my cat has already ran through its nine lives. Right, man. You have, you've gotten away with some stuff, bro. Yeah. You can be dead very easily, right? I definitely can. Like another one of my bad overdoses was on my birthday. And like my sister and my cousin had to mouth to mouth me. I was like, maybe there is a time to be done. 
until my eyes finally kind of opened up and I was like, I need to humble myself. And there's a couple of people that I work with in the school district that are in the program. And I'm like, if they got it, I can get it. The program meaning 12 step program. Yeah. So like, I, I had no idea. Like one of them was one of my teachers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I had no idea. And she's sure. like, yeah, me and your dad got clean at the same time. And I'm like, whoa, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I mean, there's reasons why people don't talk about it publicly too much, but they're out there. A lot of people. There a is. People. There is a lot of people. They say 85 countries, over 300 or 3 million people, 5 million people. There's a lot. It, it yep. still hurts because there are parents that don't like me because of my past choices. It's okay, though. I'm working on myself, and I know what I can be. Something in my past shouldn't define me now. Mm. Like, people that are usually resentful, I've cleaned up my side of the street. I'm waiting on them to clean theirs. I've apologized to some parents. I'm like, look, I'm getting my life together, and I'm doing that amazingly. Like I'm working an honest, open program. And so my boss had called me in the office. I'm on house arrest right now. Like I have an ankle monitor. For what? It's part of the DUI program. Okay. And so with me working my super honest program, I told my boss the first day I got hired back. I was like, look, I'm on this. This is what I'm facing. I'm doing fantastic. And she's a family friend. She's like, I'm glad you're open and honest with me. Yeah. Well, a parent had found out that I had this. And so the parent went to my boss and was like, I don't like this. This person shouldn't be around my children, which is like, it's bizarre. Okay. I don't see any connection to the, yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, whatever. It sucks. My boss calls me in the office and she asks, I have to do this as a technicality. You're not getting in trouble, but it has been brought to our attention that you're on probation now. And I was like, okay. And she's like, you have an ankle monitor. I was like, yes. She's like, I'm glad you're honest with me. Have a good day. Go back to work. And so I'm like, that would have never happened a couple of years ago. I'm so happy I'm at a point in my life where I can face that now. Mm -hmm. Because all the guilt and shame that I used to carry hinder me so much. Like the 2018 attempt, like after that, I got the best job of my life. I was working out of mine, making the most amount of money, but I was miserable. Working out of mine, you said? A mine, like a copper mine or something? A gold mine. So Nevada and California are the number one. So Nevada, man. So Nevada. (laughs) Yeah. I was working at the mine and I started using again. Yeah. I I would disappear every payday week. I would go to Tahoe, go get loaded for a week, come back to work work all week, get paid again and go back out and do that. Oh, it was a week on, week off, week on, week off. Yeah. Five on, four off, four on, five off. And so I I did that for like two weeks, three weeks. Then all of a sudden it was two months down the road. I was making really good money at an awesome boss. I showed up to work high and I lost that job. And so I was like, I'll show you guys. And I just kept getting loaded. I couldn't ask for help. Like normally I'm really good about asking for help. This time was so much different. I was Mm -hmm. like, I can't ask for help. I'm going to hit the ground running. And that's whenever I thankfully got arrested. And so I was like, thank God I got arrested. 
I'm going to be on probation. I'm going to be okay now. And I got arrested and I'm okay now. Do you want to use? I don't. At this no, moment. I don't feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I used to do um, a lot of cocaine and I always say, and this is just me, right? Just, just my particular story or, or truth in that. I don't want to be around people. This is years ago, but I don't want to be around people who do cocaine. Why? Because I'll do it, right? Like that's just basic. Hey, don't hang around with that, that stuff. But I'd rather be. I have no. I don't want to do to do it. But I'm really not. So what is it for you? Like, you just don't want to use, or is it somewhere in between? Well, I'm on a medication. It's called Vivitrol, mm-hmm. and so it's an opiate blocker. Narcan is fast acting naloxone. Vivitrol is a sustained suspension injection is what they call it. And so it lasts a month. Got I it. get the thought. I have no cravings. Wow. I have no urges to use. Man. It takes my using dreams away. Mm. And so that helps out a bunch. I haven't got it this month or last month. And I have no urges, but I do have triggers. Mm-hmm. So I was at the store the other day. I, I drink alcohol occasionally, like I used to. Like I haven't drank since like 2018, I think, since wow. my, my last DUI. And so I don't, I rarely drink alcohol. My uncle died of alcoholism. And so I've steered clear of alcohol. But I seen a guy put a six pack of beer on the counter to pay for it. And I got triggered off because of it. So there are times I do get triggered. There are some days that I'm like, man, I could really get high. Like I got sick a couple weeks ago and I was like, a pain pill would probably make me feel really better right now. But I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm facing a three-year prison sentence if I do a pain pill. And so is it really worth it? In the short run, I would probably like back in the day, I'd be like, I could probably get away with it. I could probably ask someone else for their pee. You know, I could do that. I could mess up the drug test somehow. But now I'm like, I'm glad I could pee clean. Yesterday, I started my new job. My boss is a really good family friend. My cousin is married to her son. And she's like, hey, can I, can I, can I drug test you? I was like, yeah, I don't mind. Because one of her employees was selling drugs out of her shop. And so she fired him. And I was like, absolutely. She's like, really? I was like, yes, really. I was like, unless you don't want to waste a drug test. And she's like, what does that mean? I was like, I'm going to pee clean. That's a wasted drug test. And she's like, I'm glad you could say that now. Like, she's a really good family friend. Her son has went through addiction. I used to do a lot of drugs with her son. She's like, I'm glad the both of you have got your lives together, which is, I was like, you're going to make me cry. Like, you need to stop. (laughs) <laughs> but it felt good to tell someone that I was like, yes, I could pee clean for you. Well, I know that you lost some friends because you can't hang out with them. Yeah. I mean, are there family members that you burn bridges with that are not repaired? My grandmother. Uh, I haven't talked to her in probably two years, three years. And she's my last grandmother. I lost both of my grandparents on my mom's side. My half brother at the time right now is using and i completely cut him off i was like look dude i love you but i can love you from a distance i was like whenever you're ready to be done you let me know and i will get you the help you need he doesn't need it you know he's not wanting to get better so 
I can't force someone to be clean unless they want it. I try my best. I'm working an honest program, doing the best I can. And my son appreciates it. His mom appreciates it because I'm actually around to help. My parents appreciate it because they can actually depend on me now, which is my parents wouldn't depend on me to watch boiling water. <laughs> like that, that's how it was. But and now, water boils fast in, uh, in, uh, in Nevada, right? It's fucking yeah, hot out. We're a mile above sea level here. Right. I mean, man, but nope, yeah. not you, not then. It sounds like you, you know, man, when you were talking, it's an interesting sort of, it's not really a paradox or something, but you talk about close family, close friendships. You mentioned friends a bunch of times, like you were walking with a friend or you were hanging out with a friend or this friend or that friend. And then it's interesting because then you were talking about being alone. I push away. Yeah. So I'm like, so he doesn't have a, I mean, I'm not analyzing. It's just clear, like. He makes friends. He has relationships, but. But at the end of the day, I push away really mm-hmm. hard. Like if I know I'm going to go down, I don't want to hurt anybody besides myself. But that's what it is. At least one person called you or called suicide selfish. I think you were referring to a sibling and you're sort of saying, well, not really. We've been talking a lot about addiction. I know it overlaps a lot with with suicide, but specifically around suicide, are there other myths that you want to dispel or call bullshit on? We just want to be heard. That's all it is. And I think that's the biggest one that I can talk about. I was always asking to be around before my last attempt and everybody was pushing me away. We just want someone to listen. Like I I had read a post the other day that said, I'd rather listen to you for an hour than attend your funeral. And that really hit home with me. It doesn't matter what they're talking about. Don't say it's stupid because that's going to belittle that person. It's a common thing. People think about suicide a lot. And I've watched a bunch of videos on, on it. And a lot of people have suicide thoughts, but they just brush them aside. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm stuck in traffic. Just kill me now. I think that's where us as survivors vary from people. We say, what's the way I can end this pain? And I know I never have to deal with it again. And that's what it is. You've tried four times. You did not. I'm going to use the word did not succeed. People will give me shit for using that word, but you know what I mean? Uh, You're clean for several months. Do you ideate? Do you think about killing yourself? No, last week I did. Yeah. Like it was a fleeting thought and I, I stuck on it. But like I said, I, I called my sponsor on it. I was like, what do I do? It's like, I'm glad you reached out. I do every once in a while. I, I still do. It's something I struggle with. A lot of people take medication, but with me as a heroin addict, I've been numb for so long. I don't want to take anything at the moment. Like I'll, I'll do my shot that keeps me clean for a month, but I, I want to feel things now. Like I'm open to feeling all these feelings that I'm experiencing, even if they're bad feelings, they're all just feelings. My group last night, we were talking about that. Like, what is the feeling you're scared of feeling? And I'm like, well, sometimes I'm scared of feeling happy because I don't know if I'm okay to feel that. Like I, I love being joyous. I love being happy, but in the back of my mind, am I, like I ask myself, do I deserve this happiness? Mm. What did I do to get this happiness? And so now I'm like, 
I'm doing step work with my sponsor and I'm doing really good. I have all my bills paid now. That's why you deserve this. I just enjoy it now. I try to make the best of everything, but still there's some days that I don't want to get out of bed. Some days I just want to sit around and not do anything, but I know other people are depending on me now. And I think that's my number one thing that is helping me the most is that my, my son depends on me to help finish his homework with him, even though it's pulling tooth and nail with him. I'm just trying to be the best I can be for him and for myself now, which is a very hard thing. I've always been hard on myself, uh, self-esteem issues. Am I good enough for this person? Am I good enough for that person? But in this world, there's only one person you need to be good enough for, and that's yourself. And so finally, with the clean time that I have now, I'm like, maybe I am good enough for me. Mm. And that helps out the most. Thanks, man. I appreciate you sharing. I hope there's not a fifth attempt. There I just be. That's how I feel. I appreciate it. No judgments either way, but just for the sake of you staying alive and being a dad and the other cool shit that's... Other shit that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, other stuff and stuff that you don't even know about that might be really cool. You don't know. Like the third job that my sister told me I got yesterday too that I had no idea about. Let's do this balancing act of three jobs. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> I can't do that. So good for you, bro. What else you got? Anything else sort of open-ended? Anything else you want to add? Nothing that I could think of. Keep pumping out the podcast, I guess. Yeah, man. I'll pump it I'll out. Listen, but I listen to them every day at work. So Do you really? Cool. Thank you for that. I appreciate I've it. Listen to almost all of them now. So long work days. All I do is download them at home and <laughs> listen to them at well, work. It's, it's so interesting, man, because there'll be a lot of people who would think that's, I don't know, they might use the word like, oh, that's so dark. And I think, you know, for the people that need to hear it, it's the opposite of that, man. That's what you're not getting. But I don't try to like persuade them because I know they're like, all right, you've got your thing and this isn't it. And that's cool. But for there are people and I'm one of them where like hearing this is, I don't know, man, it's not light necessarily. It's not like the opposite of dark, but it's something that's hopefully helpful, you know? It's funny because I, I heard a really good saying about darkness and lightness even a candle can light a pitch black room. One itty bitty flame can light up a whole room. And it, it didn't hit with me then like four days down the road. I was like, oh, I get it now. I get it. Someone's small sliver of light can make your day better. Yeah. If you're in dark space. So I'll keep doing it. If there's plenty of people out there. Uh, it's like being a vet. I, you know, vets don't necessarily want animals to get hurt, but they're going to get hurt. There's a lot of people that are going to try and have tried and, uh, it's a weird space to be in, but if there are people that want to keep talking about it, as long as I'm alive. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing them. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you. Thanks, Have man. a good rest of your afternoon. All right, man. Thanks again, Taron. Enjoy your day. You too as well. All right. Take care. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Taron out in Nevada. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or at SuicideNoted on Facebook or Twitter. And a friendly, gentle reminder, if you listen on Apple, please rate and review this podcast. It really does help. That is all for episode number 53. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.